listening to episode 207 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our analysis of season one, Joss Whedon's Dollhouse, starring Eliza Dushku and Reed Diamond, perhaps for the last time. We'll see. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, some uh, unexpected twists in this episode. So uh, looking forward to talking about it, and they just keep getting better, or so it seems. Yeah, like you said, you know, there's a you know a couple episode little at at first where it's just kind of eh, so so, but then you know once this show kicks in, it it kicks in hard. Yes, it does, and we are going old school today because for whatever reason my Skype just won't work. So we're talking on the uh, cell phones, and you guys probably won't even know the difference. Hopefully, that's the idea. <laughs> right, old school is probably about like five years ago, right? Yeah, exactly. All right. But as usual, we want to remind you, love to hear from you. Emails at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Or you can go to the website and leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. Record your own audio clip if you'd like. Send us the MP3 as an attachment or tweet us at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. So we got a lot to talk about with this episode. But as we said last week, we did want to give a few thoughts about the announcement of the new doctor at San Diego Comic-Con, which is always the big event of the year. That's usually when all the, the release dates are, are put out there for shows that you know we're waiting on. Still waiting on Van Helsing, by the way. I don't know what you guys are doing out there, but uh, at least Vikings gave us a return date of November 29th, so that was certainly good. Nice. But new doctor, Jody Whitaker. We have a female doctor for the first time. Mm -hmm. First thoughts. Well, I kind of think about when, um, you know, Conan O'Brien took over for, was he take over for Leno or Letterman? Um, gosh, that's a good question. I, I want to say Leno, but I don't know. I, I, so <laughs> I, at that point, I had stopped watching. Yeah, yeah, they exactly. Were way too late. But I remember watching the the first show. Because obviously it was a big deal. I guess it must have been Jay Leno because it was such a big deal, right? And um, so, like the very first like kind of little gig he did was him walking down the the streets of New York, and people stop him saying, "You better be good." You know, he's just kind of blithely, you know, smiling, and he keeps walking. People, you better be good. You better. Everyone says so. Uh, he goes back into his office, reaches into his deck, pulls out a noose. And begins hanging it from his ceiling when someone's like, "All right, Mister uh, O'Brien, time for the show." So, um, so I think probably a lot of people are looking at Jody Whitaker and saying, "You better be good," you know. Um, and that's not a like a, a challenge, as in, you know, like I'm already doubting her. That's just a she's a. You know, she's like Jackie Robinson. You know, like you know, uh, she's she's breaking a a barrier. She's a, a the first, and so obviously, um, you know, Chris Chibnall put a lot of thought into this, and um, you know, and, and picked someone who's going to just knock it out of the park because if she's if she blows it. Or even, or if Chris Shipnell blows it, really, because I'm sure she'll do a great job. But if the show itself isn't any good, uh, if there's a drop in quality in the writing and everything, then people are going to say, "Well, there you go." You know, it's because you you went with a woman, a non, you know, or you know, go back to you know the white male as a doctor, and let's stick with that forever and ever. So, what he said. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it. That was exactly what I was going to say about the writing, and that hopefully she won't have to do what Capaldi did this last season, which is overcome mediocre writing. At least I think. Yeah, I, I think you agree. No, and, yeah, and, absolutely. I don't think anyone would would point to this past season saying that was a a really good season of Doctor Who. Yeah, right. Now the interesting thing, as you said, there are certainly iconic characters out there in the genre world and and obviously the doctor is one of them and as you mentioned this is this is pretty groundbreaking but one of the things that i 
thought about, you know, when, when people are throwing that question out there, should the doctor be a woman? Well, I mean, we know that there are female time lords. That That's sure. already been established. So I guess my question was always, why not? I mean, we certainly have Missy, who is a time lord and, and is a female. And then it got me to thinking about James Bond, which is another uh, iconic character that it's been brought up. Uh, well, shouldn't James Bond be a woman someday? And I'm thinking like, no, actually, James Bond shouldn't be a woman. James is a man, plain and simple. Yeah. The doctor may have started out as a man, but we don't even know that. The The first incarnation may have been a female. So, you know, how it happens that the doctor morphs into a male, female, younger, older, we don't really know what the process is. But in this case, why not? The same thing with should the doctor at some point be a person of color? Well, assuming that there are people of color in the Time Lord race, why not? Yeah, which I'm pretty sure there are. I'm trying to think about times you've seen the Time Lords, but well, that's what that's what I was trying to think. You know, when we got the uh, who's the guy that was actually ironically that was one of the James Bonds. That's also like kind of the head Time Lord, uh, not Pierce Brosnan. Uh, what the heck is his name? Uh, um, oh man, you know who I mean. Yeah, but where we've got that whole group of them. The the podcast. Or, and they're all in those those red and gold robes, and it seems to me that there was at least one uh, person of color among that group. Yeah, so that, I'm trying that, to think like when, like the and the last one when Capaldi was back in Gallifrey, um, I think he there. Yeah, I'm pretty sure there are. Yeah, yeah. So at some point, yeah, we'll get Roger Cross as our doctor. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that be great? Yeah, well, I know. Like uh, Idris Elba was a, a a name a lot of people were throwing out there uh, before, but but yeah, yeah. I think well, certainly this this helps open up. I think other barriers that have always existed for you know casting the Doctor, and so right now one of the things I I liked is the age of Jodie Whittaker because you look know, with Matt Smith, we had somebody that that people actually questioned: is he too young? Even though I think Tennant was about the same age when he took over, but but he just looked a little bit older. Not that he looked a lot older. But then we get Capaldi, who obviously was the oldest doctor after Hartnell, I believe. And now we're back to Jodie Whittaker, who I didn't look her up on IMDb in terms of her age, but but she looks like she's probably, you know, probably closer to 30 than not. Right, but it, it just seems like it, it for me. It's that perfect age, and I, I, I'm really holding out the feeling that she's going to be great. I mean, she was in Broadchurch. Uh, she was the mother in season one, I believe, and right. she was great in that. There's no reason, as long as, she, like you said, the writing is good, that she won't be great. So I'm going to miss Capaldi. There's a lot of video out there from San Diego Comic-Con. I'm going to start posting, try one panel a day. And Capaldi was just as gracious as you could be. And I don't think anybody got the impression he was forced out, but you never know. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, didn't, I thought this whole thing started with him basically saying, this is my last season. Um, Well, you never know what to believe. Yeah, that's (laughs) true too. But you know, he's, you know, he he was an established actor before this, right? He was successful in a bunch of uh, movies and television shows. So, you know, I was, you know, kind of a little surprised because usually, you know, the doctor is someone that is, you know, not very well known. You know, because, and I think part of it is because, you know, you, uh, you realize that taking that role that that's now you, right? Right. Like people now you're the doctor and, and it, it's, I think historically been difficult for actors to get a lot of work after playing the doctor. And so that's why I think an established actor like Capaldi would be like, you know, I'll do it for three years. And then, you know, now, we're, now I'm good. I'm going to go do other things now. Um, just to not try and, you know, typecast myself too much with this one role. Right, and the question that's been left hanging, I don't think they addressed it at Comic Con, and maybe they don't really know the answer to this yet. Is we have a new doctor? Are we going to get a new companion? Pearl Mackey was on the panel, 
at Comic-Con, but whether she's going to come back after the Christmas episode, I have not heard yet. As we've said many times, she's really grown on us and it'll really be a shame to have it one and done, but you never know. You understand Chris Chibnall wanting to bring his own team into the game. So we'll see. Yeah. It kind of sounds like he's, you know, bringing in his a whole crew all on his own um, new faces. I mean, certainly it, it looks like, you know, Bill has gone kind of the, almost the exact same way that uh, Clara went out, which is, you know, kind of dead, kind of not dead and uh, running around the universe with uh, another attractive female. So, uh, you know, it's all good. But I don't think we're, you know, if we see Bill again, it'll be, you know, kind of like when, um, you know, Russell T. Davies would bring back Rose every once in a while, you know. But uh, maybe not even there. You know, I think she's probably done and we'll see a new companion. And I I don't know if you said or I heard somewhere, you know, like now, you know, there's a possibility because generally it's been the doctor with a female companion, right? Well, yeah. now that the doctor is a female, will we see you know a, a younger male? Which again is not unheard of, as one of the first companions ever, right? The the first two companions was a guy and a girl, right? Right. So, um, so it's definitely been done. So you know, who knows? And, and actually, who really cares at that point? Um, now, one thing you know, the the, the doctor has been, uh, especially in. in well, you know, maybe less so in the um, Tennant and Smith eras, but the, you know, the Doctor really hasn't been about you know like sex or anything, right? No. So, um, and now that we've the Doctor's gone younger and is attractive female, you know, will you know sexuality be part of the you know the Doctor and 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 his you know as, as a character now? So yeah. Yeah. Well, we got a lot to look forward to. That's for sure. Yep. But uh, but I, I think that the main thing is we've both said now. Uh, yeah. You know, just kind of heart back on and say, you know, really, the the shows themselves have to be good because it's going to be on Jodie Whittaker, right? Like I said, I mean this you know this new uh, direction that that they're going. If it's to be successful, I'm you know, like like I said, like we both have said, like we probably have no doubts about her as an actress and obviously she was picked for a reason but the writing has got to be there you know if not then everyone's just gonna like i said it was just gonna turn around and say well that's what you get you know and so it's kind of like you know as you know branch ricky told the jackie robinson you know you gotta you gotta get it done you gotta be good that's the best thing you can do is go out there and be amazing yep so all right well why don't we leave it at that now, I was going to talk a little bit this week, but I'm going to hold it till next time because we're already, you know, 13 minutes in and we got a lot to talk about with Dollhouse. But uh, I mentioned a project that Tamo Pennicott was involved with, a show called Medina, and they threw out some more information at Comic Con. So I'll, I'll relay that next time. There's no rush on that. So, all right, Dollhouse, episode 109. We are reaching the end, right? 13 episodes, and this one's called A Spy in the House of Love written by Andrew Chambliss, who has written for Vampire Diaries, Once Upon a Time, and he, he was the showrunner for season four of Fear the Walking Dead. I'm not sure what season that show is in. You watch that, right? Um, I think it's in season three. I got a couple episodes into season two and uh, just was done. Okay. I didn't, <clears throat> I wasn't feeling uh, Fear the Walking Dead very much, okay. so. Okay. All right, well, it was directed by David Solomon, who also directed Stage Fright, and this one aired April 10th, 2009. So, again, as I said earlier, they just seem to keep getting better, but one of the things I loved about this episode, and and there's certainly a lot to love, the, the narrative technique of combining flashbacks with multiple views of the same events. Yeah. Namely, the individual imprints, yeah. which I, I thought was really well done. Yeah, I, you know, I love uh, you know that narrative device of you know using it's um, I can't remember what it's called, but you know it's like I, I guess I always remember I guess the the classic example like I think there was the, the Bridge of San Luis Rey where 
you have something that happens and you have everything converging at this one point. And so you get these multiple point of views, as you said, about the, the, the same, uh, ending up in the same incident. And, uh, yeah. And that, and so you see like little details where we see the same scene, um, shot from different, uh, points of view, which is, you know, pretty cool. Yeah. Like the, the first scene when we don't know what the heck is going on in Topher's room, but obviously there's a struggle going on. And next thing you know, we hear a gunshot and you see blood up against the window and we're like, what the hell? And then of course we learn by the end of the episode, what that scene was all about. The other thing that, that I loved about this episode, and I get that you don't want to do this every time, but scenes were given a chance to really develop. It wasn't that, that you know, rapid fire editing technique that we see so often in in television, especially the Miss Lonely Hearts scene with DeWitt and Victor, where she's really, really pouring her heart out. And we really, I mean, in so many ways, this was DeWitt's episode. And we really get an idea of the angst she must feel about her role in the dollhouse, because on the one hand, we really do see the positive impact that the dollhouse can have on somebody because for her, without being able to get together with Victor, you know, would she really just fall apart emotionally because of the job stress that she's under? Yeah, I, you know, I, I, I see what you're saying there, but like on the other hand, you can't help but say that, you know, Victor's not being given the choice here, right? Like he's he's being you know like taken against his will and forced into acts you know that he's not consented to so right and i think that's the fundamental problem that she's dealing with at this point and why i think at the very end that she realizes exactly what you just said and that despite what i get from this it's not fair to him. And, you know, I'm going to bring up some thoughts on, on that relationship uh, later in the, in the show. Now, the other fundamental question, and there are a lot of them in this episode, who programmed Melly to deliver the message to Ballard? Exactly. Right. Because it's not Dominic. Not Dominic. At least, yeah. I mean, well, at least we don't think it is, right? Well, I mean, he's been keeping Ballard at bay. I mean, if we're to believe what he says, that Ballard was the primary threat to the dollhouse. So, right? Why would it be him? It, who it, else would want to? Well, who I, else would want to bring down the dollhouse? Right. Um, and it's because part of it, we as a spy, we don't know like what his deal is. Actually, you know, like he says to Dewitt, you know, "I was here to make." sure you didn't mess this up i was here to protect you like always so while he you know was not you know well he's part of nsa or whatever he was actually it seems like what he was doing he was straight up with right he wasn't doing anything to undermine the dollhouse he was trying to protect it now that being said he was a spy so was that his public face of you know, I'm trying to protect it when in actuality he was sending out, you know, messages to uh, through through the dolls. Uh, well, what do, what does his NSA association tell us, though? I mean, he's trying to keep the house from imploding. Why does the NSA care whether or not the dollhouse implodes? Well, because they want to, like he says, right, to keep the technology you know, he's like, he's like, we can't let this technology out, right? Or at least well, but, we but, can't let it out for anyone else besides us. Right. Which then forces us to ask that question that Melly's imprint mentions to Ballard. Why? What is the purpose of the dollhouse? What is its true purpose? Right. Not, not the fantasy so that's kind of our next big question that that is raised, but but it goes back to who planted the message, right? Alpha. I mean, who else would want to bring down the dollhouse? And whoever it is, how did the individual gain access to imprint November? Right. So there's a lot there. Um, 
Now, the other thing that I really liked, th- there were a number of incidents where Echo overhears things and then processes. And, and again, you know, for those of us that are doing a rewatch, and even if this is your first time, at this point, you get the idea that, that she's gradually becoming not only self-aware, but aware of what's going on around her. And that's really w- what happens here. I loved, for multiple reasons, Echo as a dominatrix. Yeah. But I think mostly because of the irony that she is in charge at this point. Yeah, sure. And by the end of the episode, DeWitt realizes that. And instead of being afraid, as she tells Topher, we need to figure out how to play this. We don't know yet, but you know, we'll figure out how she can help us. Yeah, absolutely, and yeah, and that's kind of like the I guess the neat thing about Dewitt is that she is like, you know, Dominic would have been every time he saw any kind of cognition, he was like, all right, let's send him to the attic, send him to the attic, which is then ironic that he is the one who ends up getting sent to the attic, right? Yeah. Um, but uh, but Dewitt is like she's like kind of like almost a parental figure here, and like you know, hey, let's. Let's see what happens here. Let's see where this will go. Yeah. And, you know, obviously DeWitt is questioning what it is she's doing within the context of the dollhouse. But Dr. Saunders, we see in that conversation she has with Boyd, she says the system is flawed. And I'm thinking like, all right, how is it flawed? And why do you think that? I mean, for obvious reasons, and, and again, we, we've discussed this. There's no point in, in continuing it. These people signed over five years of their lives. I guess we could argue they didn't really know what they were signing, and maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. We don't know. But what does Saunders think is flawed in the system? I think that's something that's really interesting to watch. We don't get an answer this week, but, but the question is raised. Yeah, and I mean that's and that's kind of like an enduring essential question, I guess, from you know throughout the that runs throughout the the show, right? Yeah, yeah, and and the other person that has been questioning all along is Boyd, who doesn't like the way things are transpiring, and he is, as Topher says, increasingly becoming a grumpeteer. And we have to ask, well, then why stay at the dollhouse? You know, I'm sure these handlers had to sign non-disclosure agreements. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. No question about that. Do they leave? You, you yeah. know, I started thinking like given what they've seen, it's almost like you can't leave. You're here for the duration, but that maybe seems like it's going a little bit too far, but it is certainly a question we have to ask. And then we go back to boy. Well, if you really don't like everything you see, why stay? Right. Yeah. And especially now in his new role as head of security, uh, he seems you know, very reluctant. Right. And, you know, again, for those of us that have seen the show, we know where this is headed as far as Boyd is concerned. Did he think it was going to play out this way, we wonder, with Dominic and him becoming head of security? Um, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I'm trying to like answer this based on, you know, not trying to consider what we already know, uh, in, in the future. But at this point, I, I, I would say I, the first time I watched Dollhouse, I don't think I thought I would have thought that at all, especially since he seems very reluctant to get the head of security job. And yeah, well, but obviously because mostly he wants to stay protecting Echo, um, so, you know, I would say, no, I don't really, at this point, I don't, I don't think, but it, it, once you start putting together like, you know, motive and opportunity, um, he starts looking like a pretty significant candidate for having set up Dominic, right? Yeah, sure. sure. Because like, here's yeah. the thing. So we know like, or, you know, we're pretty sure Dominic isn't sending out the messages, this whole thing he got his whole cover was blown because you know Topher found this chip that we assume is being used by the person who's sending out the messages so 
you know, clearly it's not like Dominic messed up and left the chip behind. You know, someone obviously planted it there that to kickstart this investigation, which would naturally lead to the uncovering of, of Dominic's identity as a member of the NSA. So, so who would do that, right? Sure. I mean, I think it all comes back to Alpha, at least based on what we know so far. For the, for the people that we've been introduced to, there's really nobody else. Yeah, but how like, is Alpha breaking back into the dollhouse and stuff? I mean, well, that's that's the how did anybody do it? Unless, uh, as you implied, it was an inside job. So you know, we'll see. Uh, but I do want to throw out my crackpot theory of the week. It's been a while. Okay. Dominic tells Dewitt, "You're a piece of work," <laughs> and she says, "So I'm told." And then I started thinking well is she a piece of work yeah okay is she a doll doll. has she been imprinted with the skills to run the doll then i'm thinking like well then i've got to start questioning everybody couldn't everybody be a doll well but i think i'm going too far with that yeah but i I think that's valid because when we found out that melly was a doll and that victor was a doll you know, those are two people that we assumed were not, and then we, when we find out that they are, then literally, you're right, though. Anyone could be a doll. Anyone could be imprinted. Uh, there's, And when we now, uh, each week, we see more and more the scope of the dollhouse and how, you know, high up the uh, the protection for the dollhouse and where people know about it goes, well, yeah, I mean... Literally, it could be anybody. All right, well, let's start with DeWitt's story because it really is revealing. And, and I mean, it is a coping mechanism. I, I don't see what else we could we could call it. But she puts out that story that she's been called into Rossum for a meeting, leaves Dominic in charge for the next 48 hours. And, of course, we're wondering, all right, what the hell is he going to do <laughs> with two full days Everyone in the attic. disposal? <laughs> well, I mean, certainly we, we wonder whether – Echo is going to be involved at some point, but we then see the imprint of Victor who goes on another Lonely Hearts engagement, initially stops at an older woman's place, and then I love what they did. It's like he gives her the flowers, he keeps walking, gets into a 1950s Porsche 356, which so I knew you'd you know, know what kind of car that was. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, doing Continuum, Kellogg was always driving these hot cars, and, and we got a chance to ask, uh, I forget, maybe it was one of the writers about the Tesla he was driving, and, and they said, oh, yeah, that's Simon Barry's car. Because you start thinking, like, all right, you know, renting these cars is an expense. Yeah. So it got me to thinking, I wonder if that Porsche is just Joss Whedon's yeah, personal yeah, vehicle. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> but uh, but if, it if, to- if, if it were mine, I'd be like, Listen, I'm going to sit in as a stunt double. That no one else is driving my car, man. There's no way. Sorry, Enver, but uh, you're not driving the Porsche, buddy. <laughs> yeah, but he drives to this oceanside home, which we assume is Dewitt's home. And of course, we've heard about this Lonely Hearts engagement and how many times he's been imprinted with it. So we wonder how long the liaison's been going on. We do know that she and Dominic have been working together for three years. So as we've talked about trying to create timelines, how long the dollhouse has been in existence, well, we certainly know at least three years. But our guess is probably longer than that. Yeah, it seems like uh, it's that's a lot of stuff to get set up, you know, and everything. But uh, yeah. of course, and, and is DeWitt the first director of this house? We don't know. And of course we know that there are houses all around the world, but we also learned that her prior job was as head of a division that grew replacement organs out of stem cells. So clearly she's got a background in advanced sciences. So we wonder who recruited her to the dollhouse. Was it some clandestine NSA person working through the Rossum Corporation. We did, you know, because Dominic makes that that statement about Rossum letting things get out of hand. It could have been so, a uh, crypto fascist religious group well, set who bent knows? on world domination. 
But are you caught I, up I in love, preacher? Did you see that part of preacher yet? I I, I have not. No, I, you know, I haven't gotten past when it got so violent. I just kind of stopped. I'm I'm still recording them. I'll get back to it. Okay. But the scene I loved here was they they get to the oceanside house and Victor tells her, "I know what you need." And of course we know what we think he means, and of course it cuts to the scene where they're fencing and that was just such a wonderful scene choreographed so well. But I, I, I just love the danger. And then when she cuts him, and then finally he gets her pinned up against the wall. He's got the foil at her throat. Now, you know he's not going to stab her. But again, we, we've seen dolls go off mission before. So, right. I mean, it is in the back of our mind. Yeah, well, especially when after he gets cut, you just see the look in his face. I mean, he's pissed. Yeah. Yeah, and it shows in his fencing, yeah. but she's she's certainly up to the the challenge. So it goes back to what's this relationship predicated on? Her need to decompress because of the pressure? Is it something else? She says she doesn't have to hide anything, which is understandable given her role at the dollhouse because obviously we know she tells Victor, eh, I forget what his name is in this engagement. She tells him what she does. But, of course, she knows he's going to be wiped once he gets back. Right. Well, there's all kinds of – I mean, their encounter is just, if you'll excuse the phrase, dripping with irony. Um, And almost everything that one of them or the other says is, like, has meaning beyond the literal. You know, like, he throws her phone down and and she says, um, you know, that was probably a very bad thing that just happened. Well, yeah, because the dollhouse is is going to hell, and she's off on vacation, um, and she's just chucked the only way they have to get a hold of her. So, yeah, that that's a pretty bad thing, you know. As you said, you know, sh- she's like says, "I want the the real you." She, you know, she she says to to Roger slash Victor, and and again she knowingly knows that you know like there you know there there is no well i mean there is ultimately i guess a real you know person who victor was before he became victor but you know and and he says something about it's well that's not ironic but the fact that he is saying this as a doll and he doesn't realize what the full impact of what he means it means it's totally ironic like it's super ironic though it's it's meta ironic uh actually so just the the whole thing where she has this you know this kind of paradox of you know i dare say having some kind of relationship with roger and on the other hand um knowing the true nature of that relationship well you're kind of dancing around the whole question here has she fallen in love with roger right I mean, she starts crying uncontrollably, and we could say, well, it's the pressure she's under. She's got no one to confide in. That's what Roger does. But has it evolved into something more? And, and of course, I think she realizes that because at the end, she tells Topher to scrap Victor's Lonely Heart imprint. And then when she's being sewn up by Dr. Saunders after the gunshot, she refuses anesthetic. Why? And, I, and I'm thinking, well, she's lost Victor. Is it that she wants to feel the pain mm-hmm. of losing him? Because when we look at what the dollhouse does, it prevents these people from feeling pain. So is something happening to her vision of the dollhouse? I mean, is this a watershed moment for her in relation to what it is she does? And, and of course, we don't get the answer yet. But again, one of, this thing, one of the things this episode does so well is it gives us some answers for sure. And it lays out some really critical questions as, as we move forward. And, and at this point, we, we've only got three episodes to go. We'll talk about the fourth episode, Epitaph 1, and, and you know the, the history behind that and how it fits in. But I just thought her storyline was just so, so good. Yeah, yeah. And it, 
we knew there was a lot to Adele DeWitt, you know, even before this, but this does, and, and you know, like the best part about it, what I think, and you've mentioned this, is that we don't really get definitive answers. Is she in love with Roger? Well, possibly. You know, um, why does she do this? Well, we, you know, maybe part of it is just to decompress and get away. You know, it, it seems like there might be more to it than that. So we, we don't, you know, like the show doesn't doesn't stupidly give us, you know, simplistic reasons for what she does and why she does it. You know, right? Because I mean, you, you could argue that a lot of the criticism here is that these dolls have lost their humanity, and and we can't forget that Adele DeWitt is human, right? And even Roger, I mean, like. Well, you know, now, what is humanity? Because Roger is technically a program, right, that's stored on sure. a computer that can be inserted into a body and taken out. But yet, he is Roger as well, you know, human. I would say yes, to a certain degree. But I want to talk about Paul Ballard a little bit and the hidden message, because November shows up. She's been imprinted by Ivy back to the Melly persona. And and I think I said last week we assume that Melly is her real name. But I think what this week tells us, that may not be true. Melly just may be the persona that they use to uh, keep an eye on Ballard. She returns to her apartment, and Ballard's not paranoid much, is he? No, not too much. It's, God, it's like, gun on her. What, what, what does the pizza guy think, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and at this point, he, he's really starting to sound pretty nutty. Well, even though, he's, I mean, we know he's correct. Right, right. But he's got full on serial killer slash stalker slash obsessed lunatic mode. He's even got the wall with, you know, like scraps of paper attached to it and pieces of yarn going from one to the other and Melly sees that and she's just like, holy crap. You know, like, well, well, the first thing he grabs her, it's not safe to talk out here, which again, ironically he's right, but it's not safe to be talking to Melly. Uh, uh, obviously either he pulls her and her suitcase into his apartment. And I think she says something like, all right, I guess I'm staying here. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely gone off the deep end. There's no question about it. Well, then he starts ranting about finding the web of financial and corporate connections tied to the dollhouse. And, and, you know, you mentioned his evidence board with the yarn tying one uh, detail to another. We do have to ask, though, where is he accessing this financial information? I mean, because that that's kind of easy to overlook. And, and I'll be willing to suspend my disbelief on, on that one. But I'm not sure whether he would really have access to all that stuff, especially given that he's not in the department at this point. Right. But, but does tell her that he thinks the dollhouse is literally underground. He's getting closer. She tells him she returned just to see him. And, and obviously can really see that he's gone off the deep end and, and just wants to mother him. Of course, we know that's part of the imprint. And then boom, maybe the most chilling scene in the episode her personality shifts, and we learn that she's got a message planted in her for Ballard. Right. And instructs him to keep going after the dollhouse, investigate why it exists. Well, the this fantasy is, end. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say the fantasy end is not its purpose. What is the purpose of the dollhouse? Yeah. So this is Ballard's world effectively being just rocked right to its core. Yeah. You know, like, and he, and Tama Pennington does a fabulous job here of just going from, first of all, kind of incredulousness, like, oh, Melly's just messing with me, to shock, and then ultimately to just complete, like, devastation. Um, yeah. As, because, Melly is someone he he has strong feelings for, and you know to find out that the the whole thing was you know 
kind of, kind of a lie that we know she's been programmed to be into him. So like, you know, like you said, like the, the doll itself, Melly's not acting. She's not faking it. Like she really does love Ballard, uh, but she's just been kind of programmed to do that. And it's just all this at once. And then to realize, and, and that's another thing, it's like how the, the message talks about Melly in the third person, right? Like Melly can't know. If you let if you let on to Melly, you know, so that, like the the message is talking about Melly as an actual another person, and then when it's done, and it's back to being Melly, well now he has to continue this relationship, right? They were about to go to have sex, and right. so he's you know if if all of a sudden he alters his you know how he's acting towards her then you know the dollhouse is going to know so he has yeah. to kind of go through this kind of faking it it's basically they've jumped to their 10th year of marriage already right and as you said i mean if nothing else paul ballard is an ethical moral man and he already uh sees the dollhouse as this you know den of iniquity and and like you said i mean they were about to go into the shower to have sex and now that she's back to the Melly persona, he has to continue with that. And it's really going to be difficult for him as we move forward, which again is part of the fascination of that storyline. So, you know, just, just wow. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if, if he had no soul or was not a moral person, then he probably would say, ah, well, I got to keep up appearances. So I'm going to go and do Melly again, you know, but but this is something that really, you know, you can see as he kisses her again, he, you know, his eyes are open and he's, you know, he's, he's just absolutely torn because, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say. So, okay. um, yeah, I mean, so now he's got that decision. Do I do something that I feel is immoral because I'm trying to bring down something that is even more immoral? I mean, it's it's one of those choices that we see a lot in the hundred, and 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 in a lot of shows where you've got several options, none of them are really good. Right. So, all right. Well, the major story in this episode is obviously uncovering the spy, and and the first thing we see is Topher freaking out because he finds that chip that, as you, uh, I think, so rightly stated, was left there deliberately for him to find to put this whole scenario into motion. He immediately figures there's a spy, and I'm not sure how he made that jump, but but again, that's okay. But at least he does what he really should do, which is go straight to Dominic, puts the house on lockdown, and in retrospect, Dominic is right to be freaked out at this point. You know, we, we, you know, again, we're never sure once we learn who Dominic really is. You know, how much of this is his doing, and, and how much of it is his reacting to it. But he immediately, I mean, grabs Sierra, almost throws her in the chair for an imprint. And, you know, what is it about? She seems to get all those kinds of jobs these days, these uh, these spy, these uh, right. merc jobs. <clears throat> I'm not sure what it is about her that seems to do that well. But while all this is going on, Echo's been observing the two of them and tells Topher she can help, which, of course, he later voices it as well displays an awareness of what Topher needs and what it is he does and she says you can make me help you right but it's sierra that's imprinted with the best secret agent skills and you know dominic seems genuinely worried about dewitt which again their relationship has has been rocky at best but again once we learn what his true purpose is he wants dewitt to succeed right i mean why would he want her to fail Exactly. Well, that's what I think. You know, like we know Dominic really, despite being a quote unquote spy, like what was he doing that harmed the dollhouse? Right. Like nothing. He was always trying to protect the dollhouse. Right. Um, and we said many times that he's not wrong. Right. Exactly. So, um, well, just this whole thing with, you know, kind of like Sierra, the, this, this is really pushed 
credulity for me, like and almost from the very beginning to the very end. And I know like you're, you're doing this whole kind of like quote unquote caper thing, but you're, it's only part of the episode. So you have to kind of compress it. But the whole time I'm like, wait, what? Why? Why? Like, why is she breaking the NSA? Why is, why does she have to dress exactly like this other person? And like, was this their plan the whole time? Like, how'd they know that person was going to be on the plane flying to, I, I mean, DC, right? This isn't like, yeah. It just the, 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 well, here's, here would be my answer. And, and, and look, I'm with you, dude. But but my answer would be that the dollhouse is so important to the NSA that they have a number of contingency plans in place for just this sort of a situation. Because at the end of the day, what he's having her do is go and recover a file that he had them plant for her to find, which, of course, names Ivy as the spy, which, of course, she isn't. Right. Which kind of implies that he's the spy, but we know he's really not. So why did he pick Ivy? Was it just to calm things down? Does he suspect it's Alpha? And that would be something he would address later on. We don't know, but but yeah, I, I mean, I'm with you, especially when she's running through the hallway and they start shooting at her. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine that's part of the plan no. for her to get shot. No. And well, and also you and I both know that NSA is not in downtown Washington DC. So when they show the exterior shot and it looks like I mean it's clearly Los Angeles anyway cuz there's not even you can't have buildings that tall in, in DC at all. Um these are fun facts about Washington DC by the way. But uh you know so I mean but that's that's not even. She wants an evac, a roof evac from NSA. So like an unauthorized helicopter is going to fly in to get her out of there from the national security agency. Like this is post nine 11 too. So like, it's just like the whole thing, like, I, you know, I, I try not to nitpick too much. And I know sometimes I do, I, I nitpick a little too much, but this whole storyline was just seemed to me just so ludicrous and improbable. Like, I just wish that they had, they could have simplified it a little bit and you could even still have like, kind of like a break in spy thing going. But, uh, you know, the, the, the degree they took it to just seemed just so absolutely silly that I, I was just having trouble buying it. Well, and I'm not going to argue with you because I think you're right, but I guess my explanation would be, you know, kind of what I said a minute ago is that that the NSA is so involved in what's going on with dollhouse technology that they have a stake in it as well. Again, like you said, maybe they told whatever team was tasked with guarding the roof, they were told to stand down because they wanted her to be extracted. But, but like you said, it does stretch the believability issue a, a, a little bit. But like you said, it was also a very cool spy scene, very alias-like in, in not only the music, but you know, what transpired. But let's, let's get past that. Right. So, but which is essentially for- I had to do. I mean, even though I realized it was silly, I, I had to appreciate like all the, you know, put, but, like I, I just couldn't do it. Like, like, why doesn't she have the contact lens in already? Like, why does she wait until she's there in front of the camera before she puts the lens in her eye? It's just like, you know, I just like. <laughs> so all right, anyway. well let's let's get back to the dollhouse because Topher takes it upon himself, and this was pretty risky given you know the way Dominic treats him. He imprints Echo with interrogator skill sets so that she can find out who the spy is. And I love the scene, as does Dominic, that she decides to question Topher first because, as she says, you know, you're either incompetent or I forget what the other thing she says, which amuses Dominic, who in turn, uh, she questions Ivy, then Boyd, then Saunders. And, And we learned that interesting detail about Saunders that she hasn't left the dollhouse in a very long time and doesn't have any friends. And, and she excuses it by 
the reasoning, well, the, the dollhouse, it's a 24-7 job. There, there are engagements all the time. I need to be here. Of course, we know it's more than that. But I love the parallel to DeWitt because DeWitt's doing something to cope. And, you know, we have to wonder how this is going to impact Saunders. Mm-hmm. Or will it? Yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of like a, a shocking discovery. Not super shocking, but, you know, the fact that 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 Saunders has not left at all. So, you know, here's a person that's, you know, not a doll, uh, you know, on the outside, uh, you know, of like the outside world or whatever, who is also a, you know, kind of damaged, broken person and, and who has been, uh, you know, we assume so deeply affected by the alpha attack that she can't leave now. Yeah, and it's something we really haven't talked about, and and I don't know that it's all that important in, in the big scope of things. But you know, do individuals like Topher and Boyd and the other handlers and Doctor Saunders? I mean, did they live at the dollhouse? Yeah, well, Saunders I mean, we have not does. seen them. Well, you're right. Apparently, she does. It's. I don't think it's as big a stretch as the NSA scene, but you know, the information that Sierra recovers obviously incriminates Ivy, who who denies it vehemently which doesn't really tell you anything because you know guilty people always deny sure. that they're guilty but it doesn't take long for echo to deduce that it's dominic that planted the information to set up ivy and well okay you're good at what you do but you were able to tell an awful lot by just some body language i guess well was this uh the time what was that tim roth show um Oh, I can't remember. It was actually really. Oh, good I show. know what you're talking about. Yes, yeah, I know he what was you're the you know, the the doctor. He could just look at people. He could tell whether lie to me. That's it. Um, yes. You know, so I'm wondering if if this was about the same time that lie to me was out. It's like you know, lie to me came out, and all of a sudden, everyone like thought that you know they're like myself included. Be like, oh, let's see, I can I can read other people by their you know the micro expressions and everything. It's like uh, I don't know about that. So. Well, I'm usually not big on fight scenes or action scenes, but but again, we had several in this episode, the the sword fight with uh, Victor and DeWitt being one really cool fight scene between Echo and Dominic, where they're each wielding shards of glass, and I I was appreciative of that that small detail where they each wrapped their hand with some cloth, otherwise they would have cut themselves. Right. But you know that's that's the kind of thing that. You know, some shows aren't paying attention to detail that much, and that that might go. I love Topher and Ivy hiding behind the couch yeah. the whole time, and of course, you know, as he says, "What would we do?" Right. Well, also, like, so you know, Dominic's firing this gun off, and they dodge behind the couch. It's like, I'm not sure the couch is going to be a really effective way of stopping a bullet, but hey, you know, go for it. Right. And then we're immediately cut to Dominic, now restrained in a chair as DeWitt stands before him. And I love that visual of Echo just kind of standing off to the side. I don't know if she has her arms folded in front of her or not, but but just that that, you know, how perfect that she's the one that brings down Dominic. And and it's a detail that's not lost on him, which I also like the fact that they have him voice that. But, you know, again, as we said, he was sent to make sure the dollhouse didn't bring itself down, that the tech needs to be reined in, and they don't trust Rossum, which then goes back to what I've been purporting for a long time, is that at the heart of all of this is the government, that this is technology that the government is really behind. It's just that they can't say they're behind it for obvious reasons. Right. But... What do they plan to do with it down the road? Well, we don't know. And we don't know that that's true, but it certainly seems to be heading in that direction. Yeah, absolutely. And, and well, it goes back to the, the episode where there the you know, man on the street and that professor that was being interviewed who, you know, pointed out that if, if this technology exists, it's, it's going to get out and it's going to be abused. It's going to be weaponized. Right. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. So, yep. well, uh, she tells Echo to get what you can out of him about the NSA and then prep him for the attic. 
again, the irony, dude, it's too bad you can't use this episode to teach irony because it is just everywhere in this episode. Of course, you'd have to show the first eight episodes as a lead up. (laughs) I know you don't want to take that much class time. Right. Plus, uh, I think there's probably a lot of stuff here that would not... uh, Make it appropriate for the uh, the approved uh, list of sources. Well, you can edit out the dominatrix <laughs> part, but uh, but we do have some clarity for why Dominic's been so opposed to Echo, and I love his line: "One day you'll be erasing them." I, I, you know, it, it's really one of the things that makes this scene so strong is that. We sort of feel sorry for Dominic. I mean, at at the heart of his job, I guess you could argue, he's trying to protect the dollhouse, which is what his job ostensibly was. And, of course, we could argue that he's protecting it for nefarious reasons, which is also probably true. But I I, I do like the fact that the irony is not lost on him and that, that we think at this point he's going to go to his death with some dignity but of course that's not what happens right like seriously like how does he still have a gun like come on well i think he grabbed one of the handlers grabbed someone else's gun right right okay because i thought the same thing the first time but regardless does he really think he's going to get away and prevent it from happening yeah i maybe he just says if i'm I know I'm going to go. I'm going to take some of you down with me. I mean, that's the thing. We need it's that classic scene where where the the innocent person, and whether he's innocent or not, can certainly be argued. But you know, steps up to the hangman's noose with some dignity, mm-hmm. and and I was just very surprised that this is how he reacted. But of course, now we get to see that opening scene and recognition that. Echo is evolving, and the, she just saved the dollhouse, which is true, but saved it from whom? And yeah. and again, all the questions we get out of this episode, who did she save it from? And who did she save it for? Right. Right. But I, I did like DeWitt's answer to Dominic when he says, well, you know, they're going to come looking for me. And she says, well, we'll just trot yeah. you out, and you'll tell them everything's great. We'll erase you and put you back. Right. I'm like, yeah that's that's cold that is like that's that's a harsh reality to face right there yes what you you probably know the correct pronunciation of this but it's spelled p-w-n-d or something like that do you know what i'm talking about Uh uh-uh it's like an internet thing it's like dude you've been had oh uh, pwned yeah is that what it is yeah oh my god that's 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 a deep that's like that's like 10 years ago man well, anyway. all the crazy kids were saying that, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, so we get to the epilogue, and, and certainly we have to wonder what it is DeWitt has lost, and, and she's lost a lot. I mean, trust, but of whom? You know, is is she now going to trust Echo more moving forward? She's obviously got Boyd in this position. You know, does she feel like she has no other choice? Because clearly she doesn't know Boyd's background. Let's just leave it at that. I mean, she knows the background that's been presented about him, but she doesn't really know. Echo has a new handler, Travis, which doesn't make Boyd too happy. So we have to ask, well, why? I mean, okay, we get the emotional attachment he's got to her, but I mean, he he sees how things are at the dollhouse. What can he really do to protect caroline farrell you know mm-hmm. i mean really nothing yeah right right i mean he can protest about the sexual engagements but that's not going to prevent them from occurring right it just seems like he wants to be the guy there with her you know like like that it's it's super important to him that like really the doll he's not so much concerned i guess he's not so much concerned about the dollhouse as he is with echo yeah. which is kind of telling. So, yeah. all right, anything uh, else you want to bring up that we haven't talked about so far? Well, so at the end, you know, Echo's getting a new handler. And I look at the dude, I'm like, I don't really, 
I'm not really remembering this guy as a character, so I don't know how long he's going to be around. As it's, I mean, it's been a while since I've watched this, but like, it's not like the new hand is just like, oh, hey, that's you know, whatever this dude. And I'm like, well, see, I'm the same way, and we've and we've said this almost on a week to week basis is that while we remember a lot of the major plot developments there are a lot of the smaller details which as in this episode are really critical to understanding the big picture i forgot about them so it's like you know rediscovering them so like like you said i don't remember him as a character either so you know i guess we'll find out what happens to travis and uh you know another thing was you know uh, just how this Miss Lonely Hearts actually probably now this is like the third episode. Like I think it's even goes back two episodes where we first hear about uh, Miss Lonely Hearts just in passing. Um, and then, so I probably, I think even the first time that I saw this, I kind of started putting two and two together that they talking about Victor going out for this Miss Lonely Hearts engagement. And then Adele also being out of town at the same time. And I'm like, Oh, you know, and everything. I think the first time I saw it was actually kind of like when he actually showed up at a, a woman that wasn't Adele. It's like, oh, well, I guess I was wrong. And then, you know, it turned out, oh, I was right. So, um, so, but yeah, it's, it's, I like how they, you know, there, there's other things here where they, they set up little things much earlier. And when you go back and do a rewatch as we are, um, you really start to notice a lot of these little things that are, are setups later. Like you said, the 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 professor, you know, speaking in Man on the Street. That's something that at the, on the first watching, you um, you take note of it and say, okay, that's interesting. But when you understand it in the scope of the whole show, it becomes very prophetic. Right, and you know, again, you know, back when Dollhouse was airing the first time, there's certainly wasn't as much genre fare out there and 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 i did not watch dollhouse when it first aired but but you know i've mentioned several times when lost was airing live i would watch each episode three times during the course of the week i really wanted to dive into it i mean now unless it's a show i'm uh, writing reviews for or podcasting about i mean one, one viewing is basically all i get which is always so funny when my wife watches me watching game of thrones and wants me to explain things i'm like i don't have any idea <laughs> I, I vaguely remember who that person is yeah. and you know well what is that i don't know well, that's, you gotta well, do what, your yearly I, game of thrones rewatch man come on well hey dude i'm keeping up <laughs> I, and I i didn't finish this week's episode yet i, I i've got about 20 minutes to go uh, the ending oh you're just right to the really good part though yeah. yeah, but but it is it is really good yeah. this season. I will fabulous, say, fabulous, fabulous. So yeah, jo- uh, John Snow just said that he's going to go meet with yes. Daenerys. Right. So that's where I am. Yeah, and the, the minute he said that, there's like nipples and boners popped up all over Nerdland. <laughs> well, I, I also do love, and again, we talked about Game of Thrones last week, so I don't want to, you know, but I will just say this one thing that I, I love the relationship he's developing with Sansa, who, who is his, I don't want to say conscience, but, but you know, that, that side that forces him to question his decisions and rightly so. But then at the very end, because we know she disagrees and he says, no, I'm leaving you in charge. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not like that look like, Oh goody. Now's my chance. But that, that was a good decision. And, and we, we know she's up to the task. Unfortunately, the camera then goes to Littlefinger. Yeah. And, and so, you just anyway. see, like, like, yeah, this is kind of like all, like, you just, every time you see him, you just, like, feel him saying, yep, just as I planned it, you know? You know, he, he, he all that's missing is him with his hands, you know, kind of rubbing them together, or like twirling yeah, his mustache gotcha. or something. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right, well, we'll leave it there. Okay. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear what you think about Dollhouse. Anything else in genre television, encourage you to join the Facebook group and share your thoughts with the Sci-Fi TV Rewatch community. Already a member, you can spread the word. Email sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. Voicemails via the speak pipe tab, which you can get through the website. And we'll be back next week to talk about Dollhouse episode 10 of season one titled Haunted. But until then... I got a new uh, like subtitle for the podcast, I think, dude. 
Pathetic, self-deluding soul.